Hi, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai, and you are listening to Food Nonfiction. Hey, food buffs, remember how much you loved the Benjamin Franklin episode? Well, thanks to our listener, Lauren, we decided to do this Thomas Jefferson episode. Thanks, Lauren. Just like with our Benjamin Franklin episode, I was surprised to learn just how big of an impact Thomas Jefferson had on the food scene in the United States. Yeah, he was actually named one of the nation's 25 most influential food figures by Gourmet Magazine because of his great appreciation of French food. Also, he promoted gourmet dining and introduced new crops. Thomas Jefferson had a garden, and it was extraordinary. This garden was every bit as revolutionary as the man himself. Jefferson collected plants from all the places of his travels. Which was all over the known world at the time, actually. Remember learning about Lewis and Clark's expedition to find a passage to the Pacific? Well, apparently they took plants and seeds during their journey and sent regular shipments back to Jefferson so he could sow them in his garden. That expedition added plants like pine nuts, snowberry, honeysuckle, and pawnee corn to Jefferson's garden. His garden, which, by the way, still exists and is open for visits, has three main areas. The flower garden, the fruit garden, and the vegetable garden. He seemed especially interested in edible plants, as in fruits and vegetables. He grew 330 varieties of vegetables and herbs in his vegetable garden. And he also grew 170 varieties of fruits in his fruit garden. And he really cared about the plants. He wanted everyone to plant them. On his garden's official website, we have a link to the website in our show notes, it describes the way Thomas Jefferson would push his seeds onto other people to get them to plant the seeds. It says he had the persistence of a religious reformer. Thomas Jefferson's vegetable garden is 1,000 feet long. That is the length of 10 blue whales lined up head to tail in a row. And it was actually quite a marvel in design. If you think about it, it can't be easy to plant a bunch of exotic vegetables from separate places in one area because each vegetable thrives in a different climate. Luckily... In the eastern state of Virginia, where the garden is located, the climate has the perfect combination of tropical heat and humidity coupled with mild winters. But the genius in designing the place was making it face south, exaggerating the heat of summer and tempering the cold of winter. The choice of location also gave the crops a lot of sun. So Jefferson was able to grow species from tropical climates, like sweet potatoes, for example, in the same garden as species from colder climates, like cauliflower. During his presidency, the White House was introduced to French fries, peanuts, Johnny Cakes, gumbo, mashed potatoes, sweet potato pudding, sesame seed oil, and fried eggplant. Some records indicate he could also be responsible for introducing potato chips, ketchup, and pumpkin pie. Even more exciting to me was that while he didn't create them, he really helped to popularize two of my favorite guilty pleasures, 
ice cream, and macaroni and cheese. And he was the first president to serve these foods to important diplomats and guests. In fact, the first American ice cream recipe was written by Thomas Jefferson. You can check out our show notes for a link to the handwritten recipe. He definitely did not have the penmanship of Benjamin Franklin, though. So you will for sure want to check out the other link we have to a typed copy of the recipe. I have come to discover that one of the greatest gifts rendered to a country is the introduction of a useful plant into its culture. He really believed that too. Thomas Jefferson even ranked the introduction of the olive tree and upland rice in the United States as being just as important as his authorship of the Declaration of Independence. Speaking of that rice, he actually had to smuggle it out of Italy. The best strain of rice from that region was closely guarded. I was informed that the exportation in the husk was prohibited. Then he got worried that it wouldn't be enough, so he hired someone with a mule to take a couple of sacks of the rice across the mountains. Side note, on that same trip to Europe, Jefferson brought back 680 bottles of French and Italian wines. Luckily, he didn't have to smuggle those in. Thomas Jefferson believed in eating vegetables and a lot of them. He was obsessed with salad. In fact, he grew sesame seeds so he could make salad dressing oil out of them. One salad dressing he often made consisted of oil, tarragon vinegar, hard-boiled egg yolks, mustard, sugar, and salt. Now we need to talk about something less savory. Jefferson kept many slaves, and his amazing garden would really not have been possible without them. Here's a quote from Felicia Rogers' Salon article. Although Jefferson guided the procurement and preparation of food, he himself did not cook. Slaves carved Jefferson's two-acre garden from a Virginia mountaintop, Slaves picked the almonds and apricots in Jefferson's orchards. Slaves created the culinary masterpieces for which Jefferson was famous. One of Thomas Jefferson's slaves, James Hemings, was chosen to travel with him to France. Hemings was 19 at the time and was paid a wage of $4 per month. Converting for today's standards, that would be like paying someone $96 a month. While there, he was trained as a classic French chef, and during Jefferson's time in Paris, Hemings would serve delicious French meals to his guests. After they returned to the U.S., Hemings continued as a chef at Monticello. In 1796, Hemings negotiated his freedom after he had trained his brother to take over as Jefferson's chef. Five years later, he committed suicide. He was 36 at the time. And one of Jefferson's most valued cooks was a slave named Edith Fawcett. It was during her time as his chief cook that Jefferson's kitchen was described half Virginian, half French. Edith, or Edie, had a relationship with and eventually married another slave named Joseph. After she had moved to Washington with Jefferson during his presidency, Joe escaped from Monticello so he could see her. Years later, Joe was freed, but Edie and their ten children were not. Joe worked with his family for years, and eventually Edie and five of their children were freed. 
1801, Jefferson spent over $6,500 on groceries and $3,000 on wine. Converting to today's standards, that would be $182,000 spent on groceries and wine in a year. All right, food buffs, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Thanks for the suggestion, Lauren. If you're interested in hearing about other food adventures from Founding Fathers, be sure to write in to feedback at foodnonfiction.com to let us know, and we will definitely consider it. Yeah, we love it when you guys write in. We absolutely love it. And we would also love it if you would subscribe if you haven't subscribed and review if you haven't reviewed. So just go to our website, www.foodnonfiction.com, and you can go to the Help Us page, and there's instructions on how to review. Until next week, food buffs. Bye. Bloopers. During his pregnancy, the White House was in... You said pregnancy. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 wow. I was like, uh, I should probably stop her. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. Okay.